Welcome back to the Rethinking Politics podcast. Welcome to episode 14. We're going to be discussing equality of opportunity. And if that idea doesn't just strike you, if you're not just moved by that and like, oh, this is my favorite topic, equality <laughs> of opportunity. <laughs> it's because the implications of the phrase are, are well beyond what those words might convey. Indeed, equality of opportunity is beginning to be the phrase by which progress is described in different directions, in different circles. They, they, they've taken that phrase and they've said, what we want is equality of opportunity. And the, again, with, uh, similar to somewhat, somewhat to our discussion on racism, uh, these competing definitions are causing some confusion and they're, people are not following the implications of them. Uh, in part because equality of opportunity is meant to distinguish, is meant to be separated from equality of outcome. And usually the two are posed simultaneously. You have equality of opportunity on one hand, you have equality of outcome on the other, and there are people who will say, I want equality of opportunity, quality of outcome is too far. And that's a, that's a line they draw. It's, a, it's, it's them compromising, right? It's them saying, wait, wait, here, but no further. Which makes what they mean by equality of opportunity extremely important. So the first classic definition of equality of opportunity is not what the words imply. This is, this is the opposite. So when we talked about racism, like the word meant something and then it started, people started to shift it. And, and what they meant by the word racism was actually not racism in the way that you traditionally understand it. Well, equality of opportunity was a specific term to refer to artificial barriers imposed by the government or by social institutions that artificial or arbitrary barriers that prevented people from engaging freely with different processes, with the education system, with, with business. And most, most normally, yeah, I mean, this term is used historically most often in terms of your ability to find a job. When we talk of equality of opportunity, we're talking your ability you know, leaving the the educational system and coming into the workforce of what opportunities are available for you out there. You know, I mean, when they talk about artificial barriers, you know, one of the things that they talk about is 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 discrimination. Like discrimination is a perfect example of something that does not allow for equality of opportunity, where you are discriminating, you know, where you have an employer who's discriminating in its workforce on factors that aren't about their ability to perform, you know, whether that's race or gender or age or anything else. That's an example of something that doesn't allow for equality of opportunity in the classic sense where anyone who can do the job has a chance to do the job. Right, right. It's, a, it's give me the opportunity to prove myself. Right. It's give me the opportunity to step in there and then you will see what I can do. And it's, and it's one of the big battles that, uh, that Martin Luther King Jr. and the, the civil rights movement was fighting, right? They wanted the opportunity to go to these schools and to, and to, to prove themselves. They wanted the opportunity to, uh, participate in different industries that were excluding them. And so in some cases, as I said, there were legal barriers, right? Laws directly prohibiting them that were arbitrary. They were based on race that were preventing them from, from having those, from doing that. 
from getting into those industries and from, from having those jobs or from going to those schools. In other cases, it was social groups, right? And so they would, this was more cultural. The battle there was cultural and they would try and, uh, uh, change people's minds about it. And they would, there's the anti-discrimination laws that attempt to address that. Um, and all of that is an effort in part to have equality of opportunity, which is not Note that we never said at any point in this that they're being given something. Equality of opportunity in the classic sense, as it used, what it used to mean, was not at all about being given anything, literally anything. You weren't given the job. You weren't given the opportunity. You weren't given, uh, uh, in, you know, you weren't given a, a spot at the elite private school. You were simply, they were simply moving the barriers so that you could then apply and be judged fairly. And maybe you wouldn't get it. Maybe you still wouldn't get it, right? Maybe you would, maybe you weren't good enough or whatever. And, and, and why you weren't good enough wasn't part of the question. It was simply. Or, or in terms of, of trying to make it into that, you know, to that elite graduate school, you know, if -hmm. you couldn't afford it, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a reason why you couldn't go, you know, and and they weren't, and in that term, they weren't saying, hey, pay for us to go to college. No, it was just give us the chance to pay ourselves and go. I mean, that there was no, mm-hmm. it was purely just the opportunity, just the chance itself to go if they were able. Yeah. Move these arbitrary barriers and we will make our own way in the world. We will, we will come, we will get, do what we need to do to seize those opportunities. Just don't put any walls in the way. And as, as you indicated, money is obviously a big deal for certain opportunities. And that was the, the normal, the, the classic definition of, of equality of opportunity offered you nothing in terms of giving you money or giving you support to seize those opportunities. It was just about removing the barriers. Now, if you think about that and you think, that's not what the words equality of opportunity mean. <laughs> that's not what they seem to imply. That's fine. That's it's, but it's important to know that that's what it used to mean. And that's what people used to argue for when they said, I believe in equality of opportunity. They meant we're going to remove all the barriers and we're going to let people solve life themselves, right? We're not going to put artificial barriers in their way. It was a negative state of, of opportunity that nothing is artificially blocking. Now you might have all kinds of other things that block you in your personal life, but that was, that was not part of the question. You can see where, where this would obviously evolve, right? As, as we get into the modern, modern age, as we get into now in the discussions that are had now on this subject, equality of opportunity has adapted to encompass more what we intuitively think of when we say opportunity. When we say opportunity, we don't just mean I could apply to the school, but I can't actually afford it. We mean I can actually seize the opportunity, right? It's not just the possibility, it's the fulfillment of the possibility in these opportunities. Yeah, it's a it's a realistic possibility. You know, it's a, a realized good example, possibility. Yeah, a good example of that is I take the ACT and get a decent score and I look at the colleges that that I have the chance to go to based on my merit, you know. And and there there are a lot of schools that I could apply for. But most of those schools I didn't even consider because I knew there was no way I was going to afford them. Right. And, and so that, that was a barrier 
not necessarily that was artificially in place, but because of my lack of income, I did not have the same realistic opportunity that someone who had a large amount of money wouldn't even have to consider that factor. Yeah, you you had the opportunity in theory, but in practice you really couldn't. It was not it was not something on the table for you. You you really couldn't you couldn't realize that possibility. You couldn't make that a reality. And that's where the definition has shifted. Now when people talk about it, you hear there are a lot of this is how this is how Joe Rogan uses it. This is how Sam Harris uses it. This is how uh, Brett Weinstein uses it. This is how a lot of people who do podcasts, who are very famous, have lots of followers, this is how they use it. They are not talking about removing negative barriers. They're talking about changing things so that people can realize those opportunities. They can actually make them happen. Another term people use for this is uh, leveling the playing field, which is worth yeah. addressing at the same time because it is it is fundamentally the same idea that when we talk about leveling the playing field, at least today we're talking about the same thing where where they want everyone to have the same opportunities in the most realistic sense. Yeah. Which yeah. which to be fair that sounds really good, right? That sounds appealing. We want everyone to have the same opportunities. Obviously, we want the most number of people to have the best opportunities. I mean, who wouldn't want that? So let's let's we're not saying <laughs> we're not saying we don't want people to have opportunities as we discuss these two definitions. We just want to fully understand these definitions and then the implications that come with it. You know, you may have noticed that that's something that, that's a recurring theme with this podcast is for each, you know, fantastic idea, there are underlying implications that haven't always been brought to the surface. And before we jump on board any fantastic idea, we want to understand some of those implications. Right. Well said. So this idea, this this idea that's shifted is part of a part of a, the modern movement of equality. And this is something that that has become incredibly dominant. It's going to be incredibly dominant in this upcoming election is this issue of equality. And when it, and it's not just, I mean, we started this episode by talking about racism, but it's not just in racism. It's also in, in terms of the economy, in terms of education, in terms of healthcare, in terms of voting, everything has come down to an issue of equality to at least one of the one of the two sides. And this is why people are discussing outcomes on such a regular basis, because when it comes to equality, often it is the outcomes that are what's discussed. What's interesting about the idea of equality of opportunity is that unlike so many other discussions about equality, this one is not about outcomes. Equality of opportunity is not a liberal idea. Equality of opportunity is a much more universal idea than equality of outcomes, which is why equality of opportunity is such a powerful idea, because it's an idea that we all resonate with. And that's why it's so important that we understand it. So the first aspect of equality of opportunity that we want to discuss is the competitive nature of how it's described. When someone talks about leveling the playing field, they mean quite literally make the game fair. 
Yes. I mean, it is It is a straight-up game reference. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at life as a competitive game, every, everyone's participated in some competitive game or another. And unless you're playing with, a, with someone vastly inferior in skill who needs a handicap – a level playing field is ideal, and especially at the highest levels, you don't you don't give uh, you don't give advantages, arbitrary advantages to different NBA teams or to mm-hmm. uh, different athletic teams. It's silly. You you level the playing field. You create a system that is as fair to both sides as possible, and that's a that's how people discuss equality of opportunity. They say life is a competitive game. People are trying to rise as high as they can. They want to be as successful as they can. They want to achieve as much as they can. And some people are getting cheated in this game. They don't have the opportunities the rest of them have. And if they're getting cheated in this game, what's really important is they're not going to get the win- the winnings, right? The winnings go to you, you, you compete so that you can win. And when you win, you get your portion of the prize and first place gets a lot and maybe second place gets some, however you want to divide it up among the winners and the losers get none. And that's a really important fact. And that's, Uh and if if the losers are getting nothing and the game isn't fair, then surely we need to level the playing field. Right. It is a serious problem. It becomes a systemic problem that needs to be addressed systematically. And that way of perceiving life is so fundamentally wrong that to talk about life in that in that manner is to misunderstand the nature of success in life it's to misunderstand wealth how it's created how it's distributed it's to misunderstand the cooperative aspect that makes up the vast, the overwhelming majority of all your encounters of every day of every moment of your life with other people. And it's to draw all kinds of conclusions about the nature of life philosophically that go far beyond in implications what we, what we think we're saying when we just say we need to level the playing field of life. And see, that's, that's a, that's a strong, Strong line that Dan's just laid down, so let's explain why. In episode four, we talk about the idea of zero-sum games. And as as me and Dan were preparing for this episode, we were trying to think of, of games, whether they were board games or sports or even video games that weren't zero-sum. And there are, are some, but they are very rare. In the most part... Most games, when we talk about games, are zero-sum. And what that means, a zero-sum is the more I win, the more you lose. You know, whether there's only one winner and everyone else loses, or there's first, second, and third place, there's a finite pool of resources, and the more I have, by definition, you cannot have. You know what I mean? So, for example, I mean, zero-sum game, another analogy for a zero-sum game is, is you know, it's the it's the finite pie that, for example, if, if you're, you're having dessert and there's only literally one pie, for every slice that I eat, 
that's a slice that you cannot have, which is fine if there's just two of us eating that pie, but if there's 20, it obviously becomes a problem. And that's what a zero-sum game is, is you've got a pie with eight slices and 20 people competing for it. So there's going to be some people who get pie and some people who get nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very important because as Dan said, a zero-sum game is very different from real life. And so what we want to do is we actually want to talk about a couple of examples that people have used to describe how life is like a game and how that demonstrates the issues when there isn't equality of opportunity in this new sense. So the first example is the game of Monopoly. This was beautiful. I heard this one come up several times there. I heard someone explain it in a viral video, you know, shortly after George Floyd's death. Everyone understands the, the game of Monopoly. You've got a board. You go around the board. You you have a chance to to buy to buy properties and then to collect a series of properties so that you can build uh you know apartments and houses on those properties or is it something in hotels? Houses and hotels. Yeah. Houses and hotels. Thank you. It's it's been a it's been a hot minute. I've I've <laughs> tried to play better games than Monopoly recently. Um. Not to be cruel to Monopoly, it is actually a clever game, but that's not the point. <laughs> I've played um, an insane amount of Monopoly games as a child. It's, it's I hate Monopoly. Okay, anyways, that, that's n- neither here nor there to the political discussion. As as a child growing up in my house, Monopoly was ugly. People got ugly playing Monopoly. <laughs> but anyways, and and by by collecting those properties, you were able to extract a large amount of money from the other players and the idea was to have the most amount of money have everyone else quit the game and then you win i don't know why that would cause family issues anyway <laughs> designed so, to bring the family together so so the idea with the game is that your success is determined by two factors your skill and luck and and it's so it's so it's your skill competing against everyone else's skill mixed in with the random roll of the die and assuming that the dice are, are, are not loaded, then you're going to have a fair degree of, of fairness in those dice because it is random. And so in large part, the game is going to come down to your skill and the other player's skill. That's how the game's supposed to be played. This analogy that people use goes like this. Let's say that you have a game of Monopoly and for the first 40 turns, only half of the players or some of the players, let's just say in this case half, are allowed to buy property. So everyone's going around, but only half of those players can buy property. By the time everyone else can buy property, all the property has already been purchased. And on top of that, there are fancy bright red hotels on each of those properties. And all those players who weren't able to to buy a hotel, I mean to buy a property for the first 40 turns, have no option but to pay the fines, well, pay the rent, as it's called in the game, and to the property owners until they're bled dry and are almost inevitably going to lose. Unless there is some kind of fluke, there's almost no way for them to win that game. The game has already been rigged. And you hear that analogy, and you're like, yeah, that is a serious problem. If the game has already been loaded then how is it a game at, at all at that point? And that's the analogy they use when they say you have 
the rich kid with the rich parents who who is white, who is male, who not only went to a you know a, a prep kindergarten and a prep preschool and a prep pre preschool, but was getting read to when he was a year old in ways that that you know the poor children never had that opportunity. And from the time he was a year old, he was given opportunities that they were not given. So that by the time he's eighteen and applying to a college that even if the poor kid could get into, he could never afford. And by the time he's he's 22 and applying for, for that position, there is no competition anymore. That is the comparison between Monopoly and right, real life. Right. And is that the first 40 turns is that it's not even your your life, but your ancestors. That by the time you're born, the game is already set. And it's a powerful analogy. When you think of life that way, why wouldn't you get upset? You know, if, if the if the game is literally set against you. No, and if the game's set against you, you have one option, right? You break the game. You mm-hmm. reset mm-hmm. the game. You change the rules of the game. If that's if that's the situation you were in, if that's an accurate portrayal of where you were at, then you don't have other options. You walk away, go play a different game, or you you change the game, or you cheat, or you do something. I mean, the game's already rigged. What what what's it to you to destroy it? And if this example were an accurate depiction of real life, then it would be a very strong argument in favor of equality of opportunity in the new sense and of leveling the playing field. But here's where the example airs. Monopoly is nonsense. <laughs> As a game, this game, there, there are no true principles being applied in this game. It the, is... <laughs> the economic system of Monopoly does not bear any resemblance to, to how the it real works world. in life. Zero. Zero how resemblance. It, this is not how, how property it works. works. This is not how and we're not works. just saying in a capitalist society. We're saying in any society, <laughs> even in societies that have very real monopolies, it looks nothing like this. <laughs> like there is, there is no resemblance. And and here's here's an example because in Monopoly, the idea of the game is. That my property is something is a weapon that I use to hurt you, right? My property mm-hmm. right. is is definitely your loss. So that if I have forty turns before you can buy property, I can use that to crush you, and you can just sit there and cry, right? Here's an example from the real world. Bill Gates had earned his first billion dollars just soon after I was born, within a few years. And if Monopoly were accurate, as an adult, my options would be more limited because of the success that Bill Gates had. Because Bill Gates had hoarded the opportunity to to learn about computers at a young age as they were growing, to make serious advances in computing, to start Microsoft and and help play an instrumental role in, in the modern computer. And now I don't have the opportunity to do that. I can never help be a part of inventing the modern computer. That opportunity is dead and gone, right? 
And mm-hmm. Bill Gates stole that from me. He stole it from you, Brad. He stole it from me. I will never have that opportunity. And think of all the property he's a, he's hoarded. He's hoarded that. that I that I can't have. No matter what I do, that property a, is gone. That yeah, fifty billion that Bill Gates has share. is gone, and that's how people think of it. I mean, that is that is a way people think about it. Here's the thing, though. Because of what Bill Gates has done, and because of Microsoft, yes, that one opportunity is gone. And it has been replaced by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new opportunities that didn't exist when my parents were born and when my parents reached my age and and were looking at what they were going to do. There are whole new fields of career opportunities that simply didn't exist. You know, we're, we're sitting here on our laptops recording a podcast about our ideas, and that's something that we couldn't have done 30 or 40 years ago. You know, whether we had the income or not, I mean, here we're spending basically no money in trying to influence people, and that's an opportunity that I simply wouldn't have had 40 years ago. So no, the real world is not like Monopoly because because of someone else's success, I'm not just faced with more opportunities. My life in itself is better off. I my life has improved. My my quality of living has improved because of people's successes. And that's not just from Bill Gates, that's from thousands upon thousands of others who have done a numerous and countless unimaginable things that have made my life easier. Yeah, it's why the poor get richer. To a large degree, the reason the poor get richer every generation and have been for forever. And if you, and if you, there was a famous book, uh, not too long ago, uh, that claimed that the poor weren't getting richer. And, uh, and so a series of studies were done, including that people who wrote that book had to redo the study, uh, after they realized that they were completely wrong. And, and even they were forced later to conclude that the poor are getting richer and have been steadily getting richer for a long time. And anyway, the, the whole story and around that was crazy because people ran with that idea. They were like, yeah, the poor are getting poor. They, they bought that completely. And, and to them, it seemed intuitively true. That's a, that's been a Marxist claim from the beginning, right? Because if capitalism works like monopoly does, that's what would happen. Yeah. That's the what would poor happen. would be continually getting poor. Right. Because every property is a weapon used against them. Every every opportunity closed is a door that will never open again. And and they would get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until they had nothing. And that's when the, the proletariat revolution comes, right? That's when Marx mm-hmm. said at that point, they will have nothing to lose and they will overthrow people. But if the poor are getting richer, that changes that. And we have to figure out why. And part of why the poor get richer is because, as Brad said, other people's success helps them. It doesn't steal from them. It doesn't crush them. It's not a weapon used against them later. It's something that actually improves the quality of their life. I've thought about it before. Would I rather live today? You know, right now I'm, I'm working in a warehouse. I'm basically the, the blue collar dream, right? And so I'm, so I'm, I'm far from rich. But would I rather be me right now in 2020 working this blue collar job or 
be a nobleman with with a large amount of money, especially compared to everyone else in the 1400s? And the answer is always the same. I would much rather be me now than that nobleman. And I think about that nobleman's quality of life with his with his castle and his 30 servants and and my quality of life is better than his in every way. The only I mean the only thing he had that I don't have is the power to dominate other people and I am just fine without that power. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That brings up all kinds of moral quandaries. That moral one, quandaries, that, that one. But, but you're right. But in no, terms but, of the quality, but in of terms life. of what he actually has in quality of life, I win every time. The actually the only way I don't win is in large tracts of land. But I have access to large tracts of land all around. I mean, really, I mean, there's 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 nuanced discussions you can get into about how many horses he could own versus how many horses I could own. But in actual quality of life, the food I'm eating, my my means of transportation, the bed I'm sleeping in, the technology that I have access to that he's never had access to, you know, I get to watch Stranger Things. And and no matter how much money he has, he's never going to get that. Yeah, you could listen to any one of a of I don't know how many songs of a million are out there, artists, of a billion yeah, when, songs out there at any moment. When he had the one mandolin player playing his 12 songs and he thought he was live in large. Right. It's, and you don't even have to go, you've, you've thought about that. It's interesting. You've thought about the nobleman. I've, uh, I've often thought, would I rather have been a millionaire 30 years ago than, than where I am now? And I, and every time I end up concluding I'm better off where I am now, I'm better off with the information at my fingertips of the internet, which costs me almost nothing, which literally could cost me nothing. I could go to a library. That's a, that's, that's a quality (laughs) that improves my life in ways that no amount of money 40 years ago could have. Could have, yeah. That, that's an excellent point. And that's just like if that – and if and if you don't see the connection between that and Bill Gates' success and the success of other people, you're missing the fundamental – you're missing the thing that makes that possible, that makes that a reality. And it's it's the economic success of the other people around you that are – supposedly taking your piece of the pie like i'm with having done almost nothing and better off than any previous generation has ever been in the best of circumstances in those generations and that's let that sink in for a minute because it's a it's a so highly underappreciated fact it really is it really is which brings us to our second example Second example, and this one is actually used, at least in from what I've seen, I've seen this example used fairly often. And this is the example of, of life as a race. And, and the idea is that life, so life is a race on a track, and we want it to be equal. But in reality, all the advantages of wealth, education, connections, race, and even genetics, they all play a part and they're the equivalent of some racers for example starting long before the other racers are allowed to start of them being on a on a track that's clean while everyone else's track is uphill both ways you know of 
of them of them racing when it's sunny and bright yeah. outside and everyone else racing with with storm clouds ahead <laughs> of them being allowed pit stops to rest while the others have to keep going you know these are all just examples of of how it's been portrayed of all these benefits that they get that make yeah. it not a fair race can i add one more what just how i've seen it portrayed was uh what they would they would so they'd have everybody align right these kids would be at a camp or something or school recess whatever it is they line the kids up and then the person in charge says, okay, now if you have two parents, take three steps forward. If you're white, take three steps forward. If you're, uh, if your parents are wealth, you know, an income above whatever, take three steps forward. If you, and they would go through all these, these factors, right? To make it very clear. So then, and then they would say, okay, now should we start the race? Now that all these people are already so far ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and that is the that is the simplest the simplest way of saying it of of the injustice of it that this race is clearly not fair. And this analogy is in some ways easier to accept than the monopoly one because it doesn't make as it doesn't make the argument that our economy operates in a certain way, yeah. except for the one assumption that our economy is a competition. And everyone pretty much believes that. Everyone believes that life is a competition. I don't know who told them that life is a competition, but clearly someone did. Somebody and, did. And we've be- some someone had the idea. Culturally, that idea is is ubiquitous. Everybody everybody more or less accepts that idea. And 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 in cases you do see it. Um the the classic example is you're applying for a job. And often you're applying and other people are applying as well. And there may be only one or two positions or a finite number of positions. Most companies only offer finite number of positions. <laughs> most. And most. <laughs> I was about to say it. At, 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 at my warehouse, it seems like we're always hiring. So it feels <laughs> infinite. Like, please Get come work turnover, for us. Uh, but anyways, most companies, finite positions. And so if I get the position, then you don't. And so in that sense, you can see how it feels like it's a life is a competition. It's me versus you. If if I win, then you lose. If you lose, then I win. And and when you when you zoom in at such a small thing as as one job application, that is absolutely true. But life is not just one job application. Life is not just one company. Life is is a whole lot more than that and is not nearly as simple as as me versus you. In fact, there are a whole number of fields where job applications are not that competitive. Like I said with with my job where if you apply at my warehouse and you qualify, you're going to get the job. It's not a matter of competing with anyone else. It's a matter of whether or not you qualify. And that's not the only field that's like that. But even in the fields where it is competitive, even if you don't get the one job, there are other jobs out there. Life, because, and this is the important thing, life is not a race that's separated into winners and losers. It's not a competition for one prize. There isn't just one prize. There are a, an incredibly large number of prizes, and the number of prizes itself is constantly changing. There's not a finite number of prizes that can't stay the same. If I don't get that job, I always have the option not just to apply for another job, 
but to start my own business or to do something completely different that no one's thought of before. Right. Right. I think of the, uh, there was an interesting article I read about a, he was a computer programmer and he had arranged his life such that he would program for about, uh, something like 15 hours a week. And he didn't make a lot of money doing that because jobs are generally aiming towards people who are full-time and are able to meet certain expectations. So he lived a very, 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 very simple Spartan lifestyle uh, that cost very little. And he spent three hours a day writing and three hours a day reading. And he thought he was much happier because of that. And I just think there's a <laughs> there's someone who is like, you know what? The goal of life should be to be happy. And I can see the path to that. And it doesn't take me through any of these other things. Like it doesn't, doesn't carry me through any of the normal competitive things that you think of. The normal paths. Yeah. The normal paths. But in, as you said, there's, there is not a finite number. There is not a finite amount of happiness in the world. There is not a finite number of jobs in the world. It looks like that because there are a finite number being offered at any particular moment. But again, you're zooming in too close. You're missing the broader aspect of life, which was, as Brad said, is fundamentally not competitive because I'm not just, it isn't just neutral to me when other people succeed. Like to go back to the, imagine the race, you have a lot of people that are further out there. If it were competitive, what I would be hoping for is that everybody ahead of me trips. <laughs> That's not what I hope for. I hope that every single one of them gives 110% and runs as far and as fast as they can. Because the further they run, the better it is for me in the long run. The faster they run, better it is for me in the long run. The more people like Bill Gates, the better it is in the long run. Because we are literally creating wealth. We don't, we're not divvying it up. We're not dividing it. We're creating it. it. We're creating it. And that's the fundamental difference. And that is the fundamental difference. You're not, you're not competing for your share of the prize. What you're doing is you're creating something to offer to somebody else and they're doing the same. And the more they create, the better off you are because they can then offer more of it to the world. They can offer more of the, of the, can be literal hard goods they produce, but I'm thinking more abstractly, you know, the more, the more kind you are, the more, the more of all the abstract qualities of character, as well as the economic things. It's true in both spheres. It's that you, the more you are and the more you can become, the more you end up doing for other people. And that's, so I want them to run fast. If someone has an advantage that I didn't, good, utilize it. Run as far and as fast as you can. I'm not, it's not inherently competitive. I'm not worse off because of your advantage. In fact, I can be better off you utilize it. If, if it, if you can go and try and, and, and do it, you can anyway, it's just, it's an entirely different perspective of life that, that is, that is not only correct, not only accurately portrays how the world actually works, but doesn't pit us against each other in every interaction that doesn't make us enemies fighting over the last scrap of food. You know, it's funny. First of all, that was excellently said, Dan. I mean, the it truly is a paradigm shift that that is often hard to hard to 
to to to see at first, but when you see it, it truly is eye opening that it is it is about creation, not about divvying up. And and as you talked about that pitting one against the other, I was thinking about a conversation that I that I had recently and about about how so much of today is an idea of us versus them. And I don't just mean the two parties, even though I always mean the two parties. <laughs> but but that that so much of this world is is framed in terms of us versus them. And it's me versus you. And it is a pitting of one against another. And it's so it's so destructive. It's so destructive on such a fundamental level. And and it's getting us farther and farther away from from what it should be because really we should be we should be coming together and not being pulled farther and farther apart and and that's something that we see here talking about these these principles is that when you talk about equality of opportunity and you're talking about us versus them with us versus them in the poor and the rich it's that same thing it's the only way we can succeed is if we tear them down and and they may think the only way we can succeed is if we keep them down you yeah. know what i mean like that everyone is buying into this idea and it's not it's not accurate it's not accurate you know and we have we have bought into this zero sum us versus them hook line and sinker um here's here's some examples where people have bought into that um immigration people are concerned about illegal immigration because there aren't enough jobs you know if if these immigrants come into the united states they're going to steal our jobs um trade deficits trade deficits you know our our trade with china you know if 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 china is allowed to sell us all these goods it's going they're going to steal all our dollars and our economy is going to collapse right. they're winning they're winning they're the game. winning they're winning the game the trade game whatever that means um you've got you know the wealthy who who have all these advantages that that we don't have um jobs in general the whole idea with jobs is such a zero sum game you know the the people believe that it's the employees believe that it's either us or the company that only one of us can win even though the only way either of them can win is if they're both winning and then employers do the same thing where they're like we have to we have to defeat these employees if we want to win you know and then the government is like no we have to secure jobs for everyone i just think sometimes of 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 how miserable it would be if we really did think constantly in terms of competition so that when our neighbor gets promoted at work we're upset you know, when a friend starts a business, we think there's an opportunity that's been seized there and it's now closed. That's been stolen from Right, me. there's some potential in my life that you just closed. Like, how how dare you start that business? And if you thought that that every time someone had a successful, was successful at something that that robbed you in some way, they're hoarding or they're stealing or they're, they're uh, pushing you down, you really have made an enemy of of mankind you 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 would end up you take that to its extreme and you would end up concluding that you would be 
you would be your life would be best if you were alone somewhere. Yeah, completely cut off from the world so no one could steal your opportunities. Right, right. And if that were and if that were the best way, I suggest you give it a try and see what your quality of life is like. And not just your social life, but your economic life because you could have you could be put on a continent and have all of the land. Literally you and own even, and all even of the all land. of and even all of the stuff that's there currently, even all the stuff. factories, all the apartments, all the mansions, all of it, and and see and see how well you live. And see how well you live. It's it's yeah. It's amazing the 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 lack of appreciation people have, the the absolute blindness that people have with regards to how other people working productively benefits them directly benefits them in ways that are that are countless and innumerable it's what structures the world around you and offers you the opportunity to go bowling if you feel like it like like, like that doesn't <laughs> exist if you don't have that it doesn't exist without other people being successful it doesn't exist without people creating these things and and it's and it's and it's a beautiful thing when you when you see it for what it is and you say wait a second this this idea of creation in life as the driving force of progress and of and of wealth and of happiness and these other things that you can create your place in the world. You don't have to steal it. You don't have to have to push someone else out of the way, you know, kick someone else down <laughs> to do it. So the point that we're trying to make here is that, first of all, this idea of inherent competition really isn't there. And so when you take that back to the, the idea of equality of opportunity, what it means is that equality of opportunity is really a false goal because it's not about equality. It's not about how much I have versus how much Bill Gates have has. It's about how much we're able to create. And so it's not about leveling the playing field. It's about expanding the playing field as much as is physically possible. And if your goal really is equality, and that's, and that's your primary virtue, if your main goal is that you want everyone to be equal in their chance to succeed. So you want everyone to start this the same. You want a true meritocracy where it is it is everyone's merits that allow them to rise up and be successful, not just in the in in every field. Then I recommend you go read Plato's Republic because in there he will give you your best option for what that will look like and you are not going to like the dystopia that is <laughs> that is that is described there that is created Be to sort people into the best opportunities for them because that is the only way to create a true equality of opportunity is first thing you have to do is remove all children from their families and then you have to educate them in exactly the same way you cannot allow any bond to be created between any teacher or student because that can give the student an advantage and and, and you uh, and go from go there on. and it, does, and it doesn't like get any better from there <laughs> no, i mean if that if yeah. that's not concerning i i i don't know what is but that's that's how you would do it that's how you would create a system where it's perfectly everyone, fair where it's perfectly fair because even 
even in let's let's say if you want to go back to to two farmers who are just trying to produce resources they're not competing at all they're not even close to each other and they're just trying to defeat nature in order to produce and which is in such a true sense a testament of their skill right their skill and ability will determine how far they're able to get except one day a storm comes through and wipes out one person's farm and destroys half their crops and nothing happens to the other farmer has nothing to do with their skill level that's just life life is not fair and it's you know ask <laughs> 12 year old me may have had a hard time with that concept but <laughs> but but life is not fair the more i've seen it life is not fair and and it's <laughs> and it's not it's never going to be fair no matter how much we try and artificially make it fair. Now, that does not mean we cannot remove the artificial barriers that stand in people's ways because there are still artificial barriers that stand in people's way. And one barrier that we'd like to talk about, there are definitely more, but one barrier we'd especially like to talk about here that seems to get overlooked in this discussion is is government regulation government regulation gets in the way of true creation and true success in ways that people never even think about on a regular basis here's some examples of what i'm talking about you want to braid people's hair in your own home as a small business well, and by small business, we mean you're, you know, some people and they're willing to pay yeah, you money for it. Yeah. We're, we're not talking like you, you take out a loan. We're talking like they come wandering over and <laughs> there's an exchange of money. And, and there's an exchange of money because these are the kinds of businesses that are, that have amazing potential that, that, that fall apart because of, because of regulation, because you're going to require, a license and hundreds upon hundreds of hours at an accredited school before you can do anything. And if you don't have that, then you can't do it. You'll get shut down. You want to start a small business of another kind. You know, you want to sell, sell a product. The amount of red tape you're going to have to go through, the fees, the complicated regulations you're going to have to follow before you can open your door is incredibly extensive. Um, <laughs> I saw a post on Facebook recently that said, uh, said Utah's is, is, is now officially the, now officially has the first free market in the United States, truly free market. You just have to be a minor because Utah finally passed a law that allowed kids to have a lemonade stand without a business license because these lemonade stands that these kids were having were literally getting shut down. Because they weren't following all the regulations and they didn't have a license. They didn't ha use all that red tape before they sold the lemonade for 50 cents. That's just, that's just an example. Right. Um, going to vary from state to state, but that's a. Yeah. No. And, and in most states it is, you still need a license. You know, you want to open up a car dealership. <laughs> I'm so sorry to tell you this, but there are already dealerships. And they have exclusive monopolies over certain territories. And so you cannot open up a dealership 
within a certain number of miles of their dealership. They already have an exclusive monopoly that's issued by the government. So so feel free to open it up in a rural rural area yeah. where where no one lives. Yeah, I'm sure lots of people will come to your car lot out of town. <laughs> Should be fine. Should be fine. And and I and I know what uh what some of you are thinking is, oh well these examples are all classic examples of how liberal America's li- the liberal agenda is destroying America. Well, bear in mind all of these examples are specific examples from the state of Utah, which has had a Republican governor and a supermajority in the Congress for years now. And for years, I, I think forever. I, is there ever been a time? <laughs> no, they, they've had they've had they've had some Democratic some Democratic governors. That's yeah. true. That's true. They've had some Democratic governors. But you're right that the legislature has been has has been Republican for a long, massively time. Republican. Like, but. But but no, this is – and I bring that up not not necessarily as an attack on Republicans. I bring it up to make the point that regulation, this overreaching government regulation is an accepted idea universally. That's just the way the world works now and people just assume it. that's how it's going to be forever. It's It's not a party issue anymore. At all. Yeah, which is which is interesting because I think if you were to ask people, did we achieve the goals of classic equality of opportunity where what we wanted to do is we wanted to remove arbitrary barriers? And from the the examples you gave, I mean, if if braiding your hair requires you to go to an accredited school for hundreds of hours and spend thousands and thousands of dollars before you can do that, I would say no. No, we have not removed all the arbitrary barriers that should be removed that block people from doing, from engaging in activities that would make their lives and the lives of the people they're doing it with better. Um, children should be able to have lemonade stands. You should be able to open up a car dealership if you, if you acquire Adults the property. should be able to have <laughs> lemonade stands. I, oh, I turned 19 and, and – I turn 19 and I want to sell lemonade and now it's a crime. <laughs> How does that make any sense? <laughs> no, it's a uh, it's it's it is interesting because we we've moved from that equality of opportunity which was not never achieved. I mean in some ways there were there were breakthroughs in terms of race there were major breakthroughs. Good. But we if we if you think that that solved it we've declared victory far too early. And if and now we've moved to this other kind, this this equality of opportunity, where we not only need to let them have the lemonade stand, but we need to let them have a successful one, or let them, or pay for the lemonade stand, or or <laughs> or make sure that every kid has their own lemonade stand, <laughs> right? These 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 things that are now into a different sphere that may or may not actually be beneficial. Absolutely. And and the thing is, is that if you, you know, we've, we've talked about it in our, in our episode on charter schools. So if you're interested in improving people's, people's opportunities at the beginning of life, right, take a, a listen way. to that because there are concrete things that we can do to improve people's chances in life. And we are all for that. The important thing is is that 
we always assume that the only way to improve people's lives is by government edict. And that's just not the case. For years, there have been nonprofit organizations and private organizations that have worked and done things to improve people's chances in lives. And, and yet, when we talk about these discussions, we never talk about those. We never, you don't see people saying, we need equality of opportunity. So, Here's this nonprofit that I've started to do something about it. Donate $10 so I can make a difference. I would love to see that. You know, I'd love to see them here. Here's my concrete solution for this inner city that could use these, this, this, and this that will help them have opportunities. Let's see it. Make it happen. I don't know, Brad. That sounds like it creates something. And what I would (laughs) like is merely to distribute what's there. (laughs) Well, it's it's sad. And it's, it's partially because... I mean, so many things have been filtered through the lens of government at this point, right? Government is the defining force. It's the, it's the thing that can make things happen quite literally by force, make things mm-hmm. happen. And if you use that lens, if you, if you decide that the way to progress through life is through the government, you are in that zero sum game. Because the government yes, can because the government is a zero sum. It game. is a zero sum game. The government does not create; it redistributes. And so, if you want to, if you go down that route, which culturally we we are embracing, we are we are. When someone says there's a problem, great. The next question is, what should government do about it? It's not. <laughs> it, it's not what should. It's not what should be done about it. It's what should government specifically do about it. Absolutely. Which puts you into a zero-sum game. It puts every societal interest into dividing up the pie. And so you're, you're just deciding how much more than the other things. Who is going to get screwed over? What interest is going to get, uh, to get pushed down so that we can satisfy this interest? And that's how people frame equality of opportunity. It's, it's, it's a miserable viewpoint that doesn't reflect how life works and how it should work. <laughs> it doesn't reflect the reality that life is fundamentally cooperative and that we, that for every instance you can point to in your life where you have, you are competing with someone directly, you could point to literally 10, 10,000 others where you're cooperating. Every, almost every interaction you have with people on a day to day basis is cooperative. Absolutely. Every, you go to the store, you go to the gas station, you talk to your neighbor, you know, you wave to people, you like none of these life is not fundamentally competitive. Government is. And if government is the tool by which we act in the world, you have made everyone else an enemy. Your goals can only come at the expense of their goals. And that's exactly right, Dan. And if you actually want creation, if you want growth, if you want expanding opportunities, the market is there. All you need to do is stop thinking in terms of zero-sum game, stop relying, stop using the government as our primary tool, and move back to the market where new ideas, new technologies, and new ways of doing things can revolutionize the world for all of us. And that's what we would like to see. Thanks for listening.